Welcome to the Frontline Gastroenterology Podcast based on the paper Hepatitis C, Recent Advances and Practical Management published online in Frontline Gastroenterology in June 2023. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, Deputy Editor of Frontline Gastroenterology and Social Media Associate Editor and Honorary Consultant Gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool, United Kingdom. And my co-interviewer is Dr. Rex Wan Hin Wei. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be joining you for this podcast. I'm Rex Wan Hin Hui, a trainee associate editor of Frontline Gastroenterology, clinical practitioner and honorary resident at the University of Hong Kong uh, in Hong Kong. Thank you, Rex. We also would like to extend a very warm welcome to Dr. Rebecca O'Kane from the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, Birmingham, United Kingdom. Dr. O'Kane is the first author on this paper. Thank you so much for joining us today to do this podcast to discuss this really important topic, which really leads to my first question. Can you give us an overview of the impact of hepatitis C in the UK and around the world? Firstly, um, thank you for the invite to speak on the podcast about this paper. I'd like to thank my co-author, Dr. Emma Hathorne, for her support and guidance on it. So we know that hepatitis C virus is a major public health problem and cause of chronic liver disease. In 2019, the World Health Organization estimated that 58 million people were chronically infected and living with hep C. Additionally, 1.5 million people were newly infected with chronic hepatitis C and 290,000 people died from hep C related um, causes. In the UK, latest estimates suggest that around 92,900 people were living with chronic hep C infection at the end of 2021. On a positive note, this equates to a decline in prevalence by 47.2% from 2015, um, suggesting that the UK should be on track to achieve an 80% reduction in chronic hep C prevalence, as set out in the Global Health Sector Strategy on Viral Hepatitis. However, almost three quarters of those still living with chronic hep C infection remained unaware of it, and access to testing and treatment has not yet fully recovered following the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you, Dr. O'Kane. It's clearly a big, big problem, but uh, hopefully, as you say, things are improving. You mentioned in your paper about the screening algorithms that have been established for hepatitis C virus. What choices of diagnostic tests would be ideal in the clinical settings, and how do you choose between them? Screening algorithms for hep C mainly adopt a two-step approach. So the initial testing is based on the detection of anti-hepatitis C virus antibodies and then ongoing viremia in anti-hep C positive individuals is confirmed by the presence of either hep C RNA or hep C core antigen. Most NHS labs now perform reflex RNA testing on the sample that's obtained for antibody testing. This substantially increases the proportion of hep C antibody patients who are tested for viremia and then subsequently linked to care. Um, In addition to this, screening for liver disease is also recommended in all individuals with chronic hep C infection. We know that the gold standard for assessing fibrosis and inflammation is liver biopsy. Uh, However, minimally invasive testing is now more widely available and used. 
A lot of the decisions about the choice of test really depend on availability of resources and clinician familiarity or knowledge of the tests. Fibroscan is more readily available now compared to years ago and um, with good sensitivity and specificity for advanced fibrosis. Venipuncture is not always straightforward nor available for these patients. Um, however, if it is, then the um, APRI or AST platelet ratio index or um, FIB4 can be calculated quickly and easily. There's apps available, um, for example, MDCalc, and these tests have demonstrated good performance in detecting patients without liver fibrosis, as well as satisfactory performance in detecting significant fibrosis compared to Fibroscan. Thank you, Dr. O'Kane. So um, while we're on the topic of diagnostics, hep C genotyping is another interesting issue. You mentioned in your paper that genotyping remains useful and is recommended in the UK. However, some guidelines from other countries do not recommend routine genotyping anymore, given the success of the pan-genotypic DAA regimes. So what are your thoughts on the role of HCV genotyping and do you think our practice will change in the future? The pan-genotypic drug regimens, um, they can be used to treat individuals without identifying their genotype and subtype. So that has simplified therapy administration a lot. However, determination of genotype still does remain useful. It may be required where drug procurement or pricing dictates genotype-specific treatments or in order to optimise treatment regimens. It is a current requirement of the commissioning for the majority of patients treated in the UK. Um, however, this is something that may change in the future. Additionally, distinct genotypes and um, subtypes of 1 to 8 that are infrequent in like, places like Europe and North America um, have been shown to be highly prevalent in certain regions of Africa and Asia and migrants from these regions. And some of these are resistant to the NS5A inhibitors that we use, um, resulting in virological failures. Um, therefore, it's um, the HCV genotype and subtype should ideally be determined in order to optimise these regimes. There are also many individuals who have either interrupted treatment or completed treatment but not undergone repeat testing to confirm cure. Um, so in these individuals, genotyping and resistance testing can be helpful in diagnosing reinfection and determining further treatment courses. Another major challenge in hep C therapy is linkage to care. And you, you noted in your paper that only 74.9% of hep C patients diagnosed were successfully linked to care between 2015 to 2020 in the UK. So are there any specific care linkage strategies in the UK or in your centre that you can share with us? Yes, so following the, the World Health Organization goal to eliminate um, hepatitis C by 2030, um, NHS England developed an elimination program with the aim of responding to the challenges in addressing the virus. And as part of that, many initiatives were set up. Some examples of these include outreach vans. So they are vans that include a mobile clinical space, and this allows teams to seek out new populations and reach people who might not engage through other services. And they typically visit places like hostels, day centres or other outdoor areas. Such an initiative that is actually running in, in Liverpool, where I am undertaking the second half of my hepatology ATP year. Prisons also have started to employ a high intensity test and treat or HIT um, and reception testing models. 
Um, so hit events test every person in a prison over a few days and then link anyone diagnosed into the hepatitis C treatment programme. This complements the work with prison staff and governors to ensure that all prisoners are tested at reception. And this is reported to have resulted in 27,118 people being tested. Additionally, point of care testing um, has become really um, important. So the provision of oral swab kits by AbbVie and Kefid testing machines by MSD has enabled easier access to testing. Um, and the results of these um, were found to be best where testing and treatment were available at the same site. In relation to high-risk populations, so we know that people who inject drugs or who have injected them in the past tend to use community pharmacies to access opioid substitution therapy and also needle and syringe programmes. This means that there's an opportunity in these settings to provide readily available testing for hepatitis C and then onward referral for treatment. Yes, so I th thank you for sharing these very uh, important linkage to care strategies uh, that are currently ongoing in the UK. So uh, how about uh, prevention of reinfection? So are there any specific uh, reinfection prevention strategies that you think would be effective in the UK? The scale of reinfection in the UK is unclear at the minute. One of the challenges is that follow-up um, sustained biological response testing is not always completed. And then without an SVR to confirm the treatment outcome, it's often difficult to know whether the person still has hep C or has contracted it for a second or third time. There's a clear variation by population group. Um, so people who inject drugs, as I've said, are a key population affected. Although within this group, there's still considerable variation. For example, people in opioid substitution therapy tend to be at much lower risk of reinfection than those not engaged with this drug treatment. And similarly, criminal justice populations and some groups of men who have sex with men are also more likely to be treated for hepatitis C more than once. So therefore, it makes sense that strategies to help reduce reinfection include regular testing for at-risk populations and also increasing the reach and accessibility of harm reduction services, especially needle and syringe programmes. These can provide support to reduce injecting, access to opioid substitution treatment and provision of sterile injecting equipment. And strategies also can incorporate more targeted work, for example, through contact tracing and treat your friends strategies. Peer-led preventions and behavioural interventions for people during treatment have also been successful. But as with any complex health challenge, a multi-level approach combining prevention, diagnosis, treatment and support interventions is essential in formulating an effective response to hep C reinfection. In your paper, you also mentioned several unanswered questions in HCV care, such as the optimal treatment of hep C in HCC and also the fibrosis evolution after SVR. So what do you think are the most important topics that should be studied in the near future? An important topic of interest um, is the use of hepatitis C positive donors to hepatitis C negative recipients. 
whilst the short-term outcomes, mainly from America, um, appear to be comparable for viremic and non-viremic donors, the data beyond one year is limited. It's also still unclear if there are any lasting effects of hep C infection on the immune system uh, or the clinical implications of treatment delay, DAA failure and relapse. However, in the UK, it's estimated that using organs from HCV positive donors could result in 75 extra solid organ transplants being performed each year. So this is one of the reasons why it's an area of interest. Other unanswered questions, like you mentioned, relate to hepatitis C treatment in HCC patients, especially in those with advanced disease. The randomised control trials excluded patients with HCC and the benefits of um, direct acting antivirals in this cohort are less well defined, um, both in terms of cure rate and in prevention, progression and recurrence of um, HCC. And relating to this, HCC surveillance programmes for hep C patients include those with cirrhosis as well as F3 fibrosis pre-treatment. And whether this is required for F3 fibrosis patients is unknown and needs clarity, as this will obviously have implications both for the patients, but also financially for the NHS. Thank you, Dr. O'Kane. And it's great to hear that you're heading uh, to the excellent viral hepatitis team in Liverpool in in the near future. The 2030 viral hepatitis elimination goals have been frequently discussed, especially now that we are halfway at the halfway point between 2016 and 2030. Do you see any barriers to viral hepatitis elimination in the UK? And how should the hepatology or medical community tackle them? In December 2022, um, NHS England reported that it was on track to eliminate hep C by 2025, um, ahead of the 2030 goal. Um, And the final phase of elimination obviously requires identification and engagement of the vulnerable individuals who do not access traditional healthcare systems and may be apprehensive to consider treatment. Some examples of patient factors which could be barriers include lack of knowledge about hep C virus, feeling stigmatised and fears of treatment. This was historically more of an issue in the interferon era, given the potential side effects. So counselling of patients of the safety profile and minimal side effects from the direct acting antivirals could help reduce some of these fears. Um, Community education and engagement during interactions would also be useful. So in addition, peer-led interventions Involving people who have lived experience of hep C have been effective in increasing access, care and treatment and then supporting patients in adherence to treatment for both hepatitis C and other infectious diseases. In July of last year, um, for World Hepatitis Day, um, NHS England announced two new initiatives. So one of them was home testing which means that for those who want to know whether they have hepatitis C, they plan to launch a home testing website. And then this will enable the public to order a testing kit for hepatitis C where they can take a sample for lab testing in the comfort of their own home. And another one is opportunistic testing, where the NHS will take the opportunity to test 
people for hep C at the same time as they're having other blood tests for other reasons. For example, during antenatal screening or when they present to the emergency department. And then this will be helpful for finding new cases as well as those lost to follow up. However, recent data also shows that Although we have made good improvements in terms of diagnosing and treating people with hep C, there remains a lack of progress in reducing new infections. So this again demonstrates the need for measures to prevent new infection, for example, with investing in needle and syringe exchange programmes, alongside continued commitment to testing and treating those at risk in order to both achieve elimination and also maintain it in the future. Well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. O'Kane, for your really quite excellent overview and your excellent paper. And thank you for taking the time to join us on our podcast today. I'd also like to thank uh, Dr. Rex uh, Van Hinway on his first podcast as one of the um, Frontline Gastroenterology training editors. Uh, well done, Rex. You've done really well. To our listeners, if you want to read the paper, which I highly recommend you do, click on the link underneath this podcast and that will take you straight to the paper. And finally, to Dr. O'Kane and your co-authors, congratulations on having your uh, hepatitis uh, C review paper being published in Frontline Gastroenterology. And please do join us in the future for listening to further Frontline Gastroenterology podcasts. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.